Scott's back on the podcast. Him and I talk about a lot of political issues. Right off the top, we get into a big idea that's just been bugging me on respect and politics here in the country. After our political discussion, we dive into cats and dogs, and we talk some Vegas stuff, and then we say bye-bye. But here's Scott first, out of the hat. What's up? Joe. How are you, sir? Wait, am I in? I'm in, I think. Yeah. You're in. Hello. I'm in. It's nice to nice to connect again. Nice Indeed. to be back. Yeah, we're going to try it a little different this time. I've used this the last few weeks, and uh, I think the audio is as clean, maybe a little cleaner. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, could, as long as you got me and everything, I have, I have AirPods in, so I don't know if that, like, yeah. Makes a difference. But oh, can you hear me all right? I can hear you just fine. Beautiful. We're, we're good to go. All right. We're rocking and rolling then. We're we're officially started. Yes. So before we even launch into your excitement to come back on the podcast, which is uh, second to none, and I greatly <laughs> appreciate it, I was uh I was thinking today, you know, I don't have a ton of stuff prepared. But one question as I was driving in that that came to my mind that I wanted to kind of kick things off with is how how would you describe yourself politically? Like on a like on a political spectrum? However you want to take that question. Sure. So I always I call myself a Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi Democrat. Um, You could say that's like establishment mainstream any of the like negative derogatory words you want to throw at the democratic establishment but um and it's not that i'm like opposed to a lot of the progressive policies i just think that like i'm a realist and believe in making the most progress possible and i think that like the democrats who have who have have a track record of making progress uh typically are going to be the best people to go with so I'm I'm on the left, but I wouldn't call myself far left or a leftist or anything like that. And and that's not even where I was going with this. But but thank you for such a thorough explanation, because I, I do think it's important for people out there to know that. And I've identified before as, you know, a moderate. I would say if one was flaming, crazy liberal, you know, let's just say an AOC or a Bernie and 10 was, you know, QAnon the other way. I would say I'm probably a six or a six and a half. I, I've you know, been a registered Republican at points in my life. I'm currently registered independent and I proudly vote for Democrats and Republicans and independents. Um, I was also a registered libertarian for a while. But where I really wanted to go here is do you have friends who would you say are the opposite of you politically? Somebody who is a establishment Republican, somebody who, you know, is a Ted Cruz backer. Do, do you associate with people who line up that way at all? Um, well, f- first of all, I have a bunch of things. First of all, you are three and a half points away from QAnon. We should discuss that further. <laughs> Second of all, um, you know what I, I mean? 
I wouldn't call my I wouldn't call Ted Cruz an establishment. I think he's very far right. I would think of that more as like Jeb Bush. Okay. And I have a few friends that are in that camp. Not not super close friends, um, but people who I people who I've been friends with in the past few years and have respected. None of those people were Trump supporters, though. Like they all voted for Hillary in 2016. So that's that's the kind of Republican that I am friends with. But admittedly, I don't have very many of those. The ones that I have, the friends that I have that I disagree with more are people to the left of me. I have way more of those friends. And my, my point in all of this is not to pick on you or try to pick a fight. It's to point out what I think is one of the biggest issues with our country, something that I would argue strongly has been highlighted or uh, has has grown under COVID-19. Um, I feel, and I, I've brought this up with a few people off the podcast, I, I may have mentioned it once on the podcast, but I feel like what our country really lacks, and it's interesting that we're talking about this a day after 9-11, um, respect has kind of went out the window. And what I mean by that is, um, sure, we still respect the people who are largely politically like us, uh, you know, largely think the same way. And and I would never tell you, hey, you need to be best friends with somebody from the other side. But I think politically, we now look at people who have different views from us as idiots, and we like to slap labels on them. And I'm, I'm not saying that you do that. And I appreciate you being so open and honest. Um, but I'll admit that I do this with both sides. I see people on the far left and the far right, and I just shake my head. And I wish our country could get back to a place not where we agree with each other, but where we respectfully disagree and we can talk about our differences, you know, kind of like you and I are doing today, because I'm sure there's things we politically agree on, but I'm sure there's also things that we politically disagree on. But I know this, that when you and I are done talking today, you and I will still have a healthy amount of respect for each other. And I worry that that's eroding in the country. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I have a lot of things to say about that, and it actually sort of connects to one of the things I wanted to talk about, which was uh, about this election specifically. Um, I think that's, first of all, we are in ideological silos. We, I agree. We tend to hang out with people who agree with us. And since, and if we don't know very many people who disagree with us, those people tend to become more alien. And it makes sense because you don't actually know the humanity behind the person at the same time. Um, politics has gotten a lot more polarizing and a lot more uh, personal and a lot more cultural. And so it's often not a matter of like, do you agree or disagree on, you know, how high taxes should be? It, it, it tends to become a reflection, I think, sometimes of your personal values. And so I hear people all the time, you know, defending, unfriending somebody who disagrees with them because it's not just like a, uh, a respectful disagree, like disagreement. It's like a personal attack on like their identity. I agree, especially if they're a person of color, an LGBT person. Like these are these things play in, and so I I agree with you that I I hope we can get back to that point. I don't see it happening, um, and I but I think that some of it is probably justified um, based on like what we're talking about in the political arena. 
Well, I want to I want to challenge you though, and and I'm challenging myself to do this, not to necessarily seek out Trump supporters by any means, but. Um, you know, people of all sorts of different political views are all around us in the world, and they're easier to find than ever with social media. Uh, we can come in contact with tons of people. And what I challenge you, myself, and everybody out there is to engage and have thoughtful discussions with people. And as opposed to immediately jumping to the conclusion and slapping a label on somebody that, hey, they're a moron, I I wish that we would— we would sit down and we would just ask them, hey, how, how did you come to hold those beliefs? And I'm not trying to be the kumbaya guy right now, but I agree. Our country's you know, values uh, politically are becoming more siloed than ever. And, and I worry um, if, if I was to just uh, you know, fast forward right now, let's just say four months. Here's what I think is going to happen over the next four months. And, and I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this as well. And, and we'll <laughs> dive deep into it. I think Biden's going to win the election, at least if it was held today. And ultimately, what I've told people is I think that's good for the country for Biden to win. I think another four years of Trump, um, I think that would be very hard on the country and ultimately not as good as Biden, but I don't like either one of these candidates, but I look at at a vote for Biden or Biden winning the election as kind of hitting the reset button in the country and ideally getting back to, you know, you could say more establishment or you could say more more normal times. Um, but I, I by no means think Biden is a, I don't, man, I, I'm trying to think of, how I want to phrase this here, because let me back up a little bit here and say this. I think people who voted for Trump, like I know many, I can throw my parents in there, for example, who voted for Trump. And, you know, my dad did it because he, he couldn't stand Hillary and he in general can't stand Democrats. But now he sits there and tells me all the time about how he can't stand the way Trump acts, which is what I couldn't stand about Trump to begin with. But I think there's a lot of people who like what Trump's done or at least stomach it and can't stand what Hillary potentially would have done. And and I really try to hear those people out. So to me, the vote for Biden is hitting the reset button, but it doesn't mean either one of these guys uh, will have the most productive next four years. And then who knows what's coming four years after that? Do we get even more divided or do we find candidates who are closer, you know, let's just say a, a six and a four, as opposed to, you know, a seven and a three or an eight and a two. I mean, I don't think Trump is a Republican. I do think Biden is a Democrat. Um, I, th I just think Trump is Trumpian and he happens to be running as a Republican and Republicans tend to back him, at least establishment Republicans, because they see it as good for them. And I realize I've given you a whole lot to unpack there. I apologize. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with that. Yeah, I know. Um, that's that's what I tend to do. I tend to ramble at times. Yeah. So I think so. It sounds like you. I mean, let's. I'll start with this. Yeah. The, I re-listened to our last conversation. Oh, okay. And you had said in that conversation 
that in the last election, you like threw up on yourself when you cast the vote and you're going to do so again this time, which implies to me that you feel like both candidates are equally as bad. And Um, you no, I I would not say that If, if if I felt they were equally as bad, I I would. I would essentially just be flipping a coin. I definitely think there's differences, and I thought there were differences four years ago. I just mean I don't care for either one. That's fine. That's fine. But this is really a referendum on Donald Trump. I mean, nobody's like, you know, the next president needs to be Joe Biden to, like, you know, transform this country. Like, we need to just get rid of Trump. And the people who are voting for Joe Biden, I think, are largely going to be voting against Trump. And I think that that is perfectly fine. We are in like an emergency situation in this country. Um, So, and it's not a matter of policy, I think at this point anymore, we're not even really having a conversation about like, you know, the typical Democrat Republican policies. It's a a much more existential thing on both sides. This sort of blends together the two things that I wanted to talk about actually, which was like, which was the, um, the idea of this, of the stakes being both sides are raising the stakes here. Um, and also like the idea of, you know, like how to choose who to vote for, because to me, like, I don't think it doesn't sound like voting for Joe Biden would truly constitute like you throwing up on yourself in the extreme sense of the word. I know I keep hanging on to that, (laughs) but like, He's a very, he's been around for almost 50 years. He's a pretty typical Democrat. He was vice president for the last eight years. And we like did the world didn't end. Like it shouldn't be that hard to vote for Joe Biden. But my fear, my fear though, and I would agree with that, is that Biden will cave to the Bernie AOC Warren crowd to continue to stay in their good graces and to potentially try to win another four years down the road that will will see kind of the opposite of what we've seen with Trump, where establishment Republicans became more Trumpian. I think Biden may go further to the left, assuming that the House stays Democratic and the Senate flips to Democrat. I think Biden could go further in that direction because he'll want to stay in their good graces. Um, I don't know if I 100 percent agree, because I don't think that I mean, if if that was truly like the majority of the party, as they claim they are, like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie would have gotten the nomination and Joe Biden did for a reason. So I think that I think that that's coming down the line for sure. That's a growing part of the party. And I think maybe eight, 10, 12 years from now, that is where the Democrats will be. I'm not sure if that's happening yet. Um the, the Republican Party sort of molded around Trump and it would not be the same as Joe Biden, who is the president, molding around like other people. Um, Nancy Pelosi is still the Speaker of the House. Hopefully she'll continue to be a little bit longer. I know she was going to set herself a term limit. She's a pretty establishment Democrat. Um, yeah, speaking I of people miss- who I throw up on myself when I think about. Yeah. She's, oh, she's she, wonderful. She, she's, she's wonderful. No, she's 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 one of them who I who I you know, puke on myself every time I, I think about, because I, one of the things that I, I will admit that I liked about Trump is, and I never bought it for a second, 
but when he talked about draining the swamp. But I never think people who say that are realistic. And I didn't believe Trump when he said it. And it's proven to be a big crock is, you know, all of the establishment people are still around. And and I'm a big believer. I would love to see term limits because I think it would actually force people to try to get things done, try to work together understanding that there is a time limit on how long they can be there, and then they would have to get out. I understand there's downsides to term limits, too, but I I despise the term career politician, and I despise the people who embody that, Senator McCain included. Well, so by the way, I mean, the swamp, I've discovered recently, both sides have a different conception of what the swamp is. The right thinks it's career politicians, like you just said. The left would say that, that, that Trump is filling the swamp even more by putting you know, former Goldman Sachs people in charge of the Treasury and the Economic Council and putting lobbyists in charge of the environment, the the EPA, like that is the swamp is like mixing in all these these special interests. Um, That's interesting because the, the, the right doesn't think of it at, like that at all. They just like hate Nancy Pelosi because she's been there forever. Oh, but I, um, I, I can't stand McConnell or Pelosi. So I, I do take more of what you describe as the the right definition of that. But I would also say what you say the left looks at as the swamp, I would say is a byproduct of Trump not being establishment and Trump not being stable. And he can't get stable, solid people in his cabinet and around him to work with him long enough because he's not an effective leader. So those people have flocked away from him and it results in deteriorating uh, you know, not not even candidates, but uh, but people to fill those positions. And we end up with where we're at. So I would say that's not a positive in terms of getting away from establishment, but he doesn't have qualified candidates filling their positions. Yeah, that's fair. Um, can can we talk a little bit about the existential nature of this election? Because it is something of concern to me. And I I think it's a problem, and I think I'm. I'll admit, I think I'm part of the problem. We can um, we can absolutely talk about that, but I have two requests. One, okay. you can't use the word existential again because that's way above my head. You have to dumb it down a little bit. Uh, and two, uh, what I was trying to hit at off the off of the top is, I think, I think myself, I think you, I think everybody out there would benefit from having conversations with people who are not like-minded. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but I do hope that we have those conversations and that we can respectfully agree to disagree. That's what I want to encourage you, myself, others to do more of. Now go ahead with your uh, oh. with your existential thought. Yes, for sure. I agree to all of that. And I'm, again, very happy to be here and happy to talk with you and thank you for bringing me back oh, buddy um, no 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 happy to bring you back i told you i was going to bring you back i wanted <laughs> to bring you back i'm excited to have you here because i know we're going to have great conversation we're already 18 minutes yeah. in and we're we're having a great time yes we are um so in the past so what i wanted to talk about was in the past right and i'm a little too young to remember this but i've heard about it that like elections were like you know often kind of boring. They were between two old white men who had some different ideas about the way the economy should be structured and the way that U.S. should be conducting its foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. How far back are we issues. going here? Um, I would say not like 90s and before, even let's say 2004. 
is the last one and before that. So 2000 was the first election I voted in. Uh, Off the top of my head, was that was that W. Bush Kerry? No, that was Bush Gore. 2004 was Bush Kerry. Okay, so yeah, Bush Gore with the hanging chads was my first election. And then Bush Kerry was obviously my second presidential election. So, okay, I just and then before that, we're talking uh, W. Bush Clinton. It was Clinton and uh, Bob Dole in 96 and then Clinton and yeah, H.W. Bush in 92. Okay, all right. And and prior to that as well, like going back. Um, So like that's a pretty like that's not how do I even say this? It's not a big deal. Everybody has different ideas about the way the country should be, but everybody loves America. Right. And We all know that no matter what happens, America will be fine and we'll move forward. Yes. It doesn't. That's not what this election is about on either side. On the on on the left, which I'm a part of, we do see this as like the our democracy is on the line here. That if Trump gets reelected, like America could be destroyed in a certain way, the way that we conduct our institutions, our democratic norms, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I have some friends who have very catastrophic thinking. They are, I think they're legitimately afraid that since Trump has talked about getting. T- you know, 12 years and whatever that he could find a way to circumvent the constitution to do that. I'm not, I'm not going that far. I think that we can survive Trump, but I, I think that it's a lot bigger than just like left and right. It's like a real question of like, can the institutions hold up on the right, on the Trump side, what they are saying is America will literally burn to the ground. If you vote for (laughs) Joe Biden, Yeah, like, you know, they had that couple at the DNC saying Joe Biden wants to abolish the suburbs, which is just so laughably stupid. It doesn't even make any sense. But that's what they're that's what they're going on. That doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. Um, and so on one side, we've got like the constitutions at stake. And on the other side, it's like you will die. MS-13 will move next door. I think somebody said that Matt Gates said that at the RNC. The Democrats will take your guns and put MS-13 people next door to you. Like, none of that even seems remotely possible on the right. On the left, I think it does. Um, but I am concerned at the at the way that this election is shaping up because there is going to be an aftermath and we're going to have to figure out how to deal as a country no matter what, even if Trump gets reelected. And I know that I, I keep admitting that I'm playing a part in this because I, I do have some fears about like our democratic norms. But it does concern me that the stakes are are being set very, very high in this election, maybe deservedly. But I'm not sure. Certainly not on the right. Uh, it's deserved. Uh, and it may not be completely deserved on the left either. I'm open to hearing about that. But you're a moderate. Yeah. You're in the middle. So you're not on either side of this. So I'm curious what you like, if you agree with that assessment and if you if you're concerned by it or like what you think about that. Lots of thoughts. So I I think your characterization is pretty accurate. It's certainly accurate from the left in terms of how they view the Trump side. And from the right, I would agree that that's certainly accurate as well in terms of how they're portraying the left. I, I find it funny as well, especially with 
let's just look at Wisconsin for a minute here. And, you know, Trump would talk about how, you know, Joe Biden can't bring any of this under control. And as somebody who is a moderate, I would say this. You say I'm not on either side of it. I would say, depending on the issue, I'm at times on one side of it or the other. Then there's times where I think both sides are nuts. So I just take crap from everybody all the time. Um, But here's my issue with what Trump would say, you know, about Wisconsin and what was going on in Kenosha. Uh, and everything that happened there over the last several weeks, to me, that in some ways was a byproduct, not directly of President Trump. I'm not going to blame him for a white police officer uh, shooting a black, uh, black man seven times in the back. But I would say that I didn't see him doing anything to calm the situation and to say that under Democrats that we would just see that, you know, every single day and we'd see this rioting in the streets to me is is almost a signal to his base to riot in the streets if he does not win again. Oh, probably. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all because he's the president. So right. it's happening under his watch right now. And, and they'll say it's Democrat mayors, Democrat governors. But like, but to me, it's I a bad know. it's a bad move for Trump because I sit here and I think, buddy, you've been president the last three plus years. Yeah, Th- exactly. this is on your watch. This is yeah. up to you to be taking a handle of how can you pin this on Biden when he's really been running, what, maybe the last year, the last 18 months? I understand he's always politically out there, but he's not the president. You are. So so I agree with you on your characterizations of that. And I think Trump's really struggling. Now, I'm not going to make the, the perfect tie in here, um, but you've said that I think you've accurately portrayed what's on the line in this election and how we've kind of gotten to this point, at least as the two sides look at it. Part of the reason we're there, too, is COVID-19, in my opinion. Uh, You know, typically we would be talking, you know, health care or the economy or education. Those are, in general, kind of the big three. I know Social Security always gets thrown around. Uh, Medicare, Medicaid, spending, uh, the budget, uh, GDP, all these issues get thrown out there. Uh, you know, uh, international policy, you know, foreign uh, foreign policy, diplomacy, all those things. But COVID's changed all of it. That's the big issue now. And it affects a lot of other things. But it's COVID first and then it kind of COVID affects education, COVID affects the economy, all of these things. Um but but I think a lot of that has largely come come out this way because of the pandemic and to see how we get out of that in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months. Nobody really knows is is really kind of the big, dark cloud hanging over the country. And then then you do talk about, you know, the um the right saying that if the left wins, the country is going to be on fire and the left saying, well, you know, Trump is really putting, you know, the Constitution on the line and the country could change forever if we don't do something about this. What do you think about that? That it really comes down to covid more than than those other things, too. Um, well, I think that's the that's the immediate crisis in front of us is like, how do we get a handle on this? Because, um, you know, I'm out of work. I can't really leave my house. Like it affects me, it affects you, it affects all of us. I so saw we you do were to... at the beach the other day. You're getting out of the house plenty. 
okay, okay, fine. I go to the beach a little bit, but I can't go anywhere else, right? I can't yeah. go inside anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's the only place I feel really comfortable. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think this, I think that plays a part in it. I think that all of the other things are, would, would still be going on without coronavirus. Um, this just takes it to like a more basic level of like, we just need to get this sorted out. I mean, right now, like I'm in California and most of the state is on fire. Like there is smoke hanging over the entire city of Los Angeles. I can't even really go outside. The air quality is really bad. So we have a climate crisis, right? That we need to deal with. And the right like doesn't acknowledge that exists, but that's like not even the biggest emergency right now, even though it is a really big emergency because we have the coronavirus. So yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that because it's, it's a, it's something we really need to fix, but Trump would still be talking about these, you know, these rioters, whatever, no matter what. And I think that we would be talking about the way that, that Trump has damaged our institutions and the rest, because uh, he has over the past three years. Um, Trump's path to win is talking about anything but COVID. And bad news right. for him, I don't think he's going to be able to get away from it. Biden's path to winning is don't talk about anything. Just uh, proverbially stay in your basement, do these virtual hits, keep doing your thing, don't make noise, don't make waves, don't have gaffes, just stay out of the way. And if Trump says something, just for better or worse, largely say the opposite. I mean, yeah, Trump is going to self-destruct, hopefully. I mean, I think he could still still win. I he think could. that he could. I, I think Biden, I think Biden's guaranteed to win the popular vote. I know that doesn't quite matter, but I think that that's notable. Like, I don't see a path to Trump, like winning the popular vote, which means in this election, more people are going to vote for Biden. I think we could probably we, we could probably agree on that. Right. Yeah. They voted for Hillary. Yeah. And I don't see too many people swinging back to Trump like that. Like, oh, no, I think I think, Biden, I think Biden will increase the gap based on, yeah. you know, compared to where Hillary Trump was. I think it'll be more Biden. So if Biden wins by a bigger margin in the popular vote and still loses the Electoral College, then we're really going to have a real issue with stuff like that going forward. Because if he wins by like five or six million votes and still loses, I mean, three million by Hillary was was quite a lot. So that's another conversation. Um, well, we've got another to- conversation, too, in terms of I don't think the election's going to be decided November 3rd. I mean, we're already yeah. having talks that it could be. For sure. By we, I mean the media. I don't mean like, you know, in in the radio biz specifically where I work, but that it could be at least a week. It could be a month. Um, Do I think ultimately if President Trump loses that he will vacate the White House? Yes, I do. I think some of that is overblown. I definitely don't think he will want to leave, but I think he also will not want to, you know, sit around and try to contest something that he ultimately can't win. If he sees no path forward, he'll get out. But that could take a few weeks. It could take a month. Well, I, I agree that I, I think that the that the fear of him not leaving is overblown and that like if it's very clear that he lost, like if need be, like Secret Service will physically remove him. So I'm not concerned about that. I don't think he will ever concede defeat, though, no matter what. I mean, he doesn't. He's a winner. That's what he does. He wins. So Roy Moore, who is the Senate candidate in Alabama a few years ago, who was accused of child molestation. Yeah, he got he never banned from conceded. the mall. He was so bad. <laughs> right. But he never conceded. I mean, he never he still hasn't admitted that he lost and they just went forward and, and swore in the new senator. Right. So we can do that. I don't think Trump is going to admit defeat ever. And 
And this is one of the this is one of the examples of the institutions that are on the line, right? Because like we have this mail-in voting system that we need because of the pandemic, and Trump installed uh, some Republican donor, Louis DeJoy, as the postmaster general, who's instituting all these changes to deliberately slow down the postal system. So, I mean, they're tampering with the election, right? This is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Um, so I don't want to be too much of an alarmist, but, you know, this, this, is, this is real. This is what's going on. And this is Trump. So, you know, there's that as well. Yeah. Um, do you think that Joe Biden is going to win Arizona? I'm very curious about that. <laughs> That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, oh, boy. I, I had not really given that a lot of thought. Uh, I can tell you this. I think he'll win Maricopa County, which is uh, Arizona's largest county, um, which traditionally would tell you, yes, he'll win Arizona. But... Um, did Hillary win Maricopa County? Do you know off the top of your head? No, she did not, but it was close. Okay. Well, I think, I think Trump slightly won, but Kirsten Cinema won Maricopa yes, County she did. in 2018. So I think you're right. That's going to be the deciding county. Well, but see, here's the issue too. And here's what's so interesting. And here's why people were just scratching their heads so much. Um, when Trump won in 2016, he did not do great in big cities by any means. I'm sure Hillary wiped the floor with him in in the big cities but but trump cleans up in the more you know rural areas where you know if you take a drive um whether it's california or arizona or michigan or pennsylvania or texas and if you get out into the country you will see you will see barns you will see farms you will see trump flags you'll see it all over the barn you'll see boats uh people in the country largely are going to vote for Trump. And the way the media works, though, is they're largely talking to the people in the big cities because that's traditionally where the big population bases are. Um, and those people are going to tend to vote for Biden. But uh, I think Biden will win Maricopa County. I think the reason Hillary did not um, was somewhat establishment, was somewhat the female thing, Um you know, it's just I don't think people were ready for another four years of Democrat. I think they wanted to see what would happen under Trump. And now that they've seen that for three plus years, I think they're ready to try to go the other way. Um, so if I had to tell you today what I think will happen in Maricopa County, I believe Biden will win. It's funny. I had a friend four years ago who would ask me every single day, who do I think would win the election? And I kept saying uh, Hillary but I think it'll be close, and ultimately Trump ended up winning. And I was surprised, not shocked, and I'm kind of the opposite. I, the opposite, I guess, kind of the same this time, where I think Biden will win, but I think the electoral vote will be closer than what a lot of people think. Did you see the Nate Silver? He had a tweet the other day that said the election will essentially come down to Arizona. No, I didn't see that. I saw his tweet that said that I was sort of referring to it earlier, where he talked about the margin of popular vote victory Biden would need corresponding with a chance that he wins the Electoral College. And it was a little alarming. But no, I didn't. I didn't see that. Arizona is going to decide the election. That's, that's crazy. That's what Nate Silver said. But I can tell you, I don't feel that way based on how I see these campaigns acting. 
perhaps with Trump's, as he's coming to Arizona again on Monday. Joe Biden and Kamala, uh, I always butcher her name, Kamala Harris, Kamala yeah. Harris. I, I know it's like Kamala. you're supposed to say comma and then, you know, get, get it all out there. But uh, yeah. Kamala Harris, you know, Senator Harris have not taken one trip to Arizona yet. They've uh, Biden has done a couple hits with TV stations virtually. Uh, Harris is going to virtually visit Arizona. But that, to me, I'm sorry, is just I, I can't get behind a virtual visit. That, to me, just doesn't count. I'm sorry. I, uh, the, I don't understand the visits. Everyone says Hillary lost because she didn't visit Wisconsin. I don't get what that means. If she visited Wisconsin, she would just have a rally, right, where all of her supporters would come out. It like, doesn't make sense to me that like physically coming to the state means very much. Trump is going to come and have a rally and his supporters are going to go who vote for him. Well, um, Trump can't really have a huge rally right now, though. And that, I think, will hurt him with COVID restrictions out there that, yes, his base is always going to be this, you know, 33, 35 percent. Um, but he can't rally them and get them out there. The big difference, though, I do think is the middle. The people who went for Trump four years ago I think more of them are rolling their eyes and are just saying, you know what, not necessarily that they regret it, but that they are ready to go the other way. I hope you're right. And I, and Joe Biden has, a, according to 538, has a 66% chance currently of winning Arizona, which boggles my mind because I just feel like, I mean, I would love for that to happen, but it still feels like it has a slightly red flavor to it, our great state. And uh, I just... I can't I just can't picture it. So I hope that it happens. And I think you're right that it is urban areas are blue, rural areas are red. And really where the tiebreaker is, is in the suburbs, which is typically leans slightly red, especially in traditionally red states like Arizona and Texas. But if those suburbs really went against Republicans and Trump in 2018. And that's how we got Kirsten Cinema. If it happens again, then Joe Biden will win Arizona. If like, you know, my neighborhood votes for Joe Biden which I hope they do. There's three Trump flags on our street. But if every other house on the street votes for Joe Biden, Joe Biden will still win. So we'll see. Have you looked at the Cook Report lately? No, I haven't. Do what you know you what the Cook Report is? Uh, I've heard of it. Is that is that from the real clear politics or is that or am I mixing? No, I think his name is Charlie Cook and he just kind of does his own thing and he'll break down, you know, each state. He'll do it for the House. He'll do it for the Senate. He'll do it for the president. And I'm just, I'm curious, I'm betting he has, I'm trying to look to see what he has Arizona right now. He has Arizona as a toss-up. So, yeah. I, and and, and, a, and he'll do I, usually, he'll do, you know, lean Democrat, likely Democrat, solid Democrat, lean Republican, likely Republican, yeah. solid Republican. And uh, just for the people who obviously can't see what I'm looking at right now, uh, the northern center of the country is all solid Republican. The, uh, you know, throughout the southern portion of the Midwest, Missouri, Indiana, uh, Nebraska, um, all of that is uh, solid Republican down into Louisiana, uh, even Tennessee, uh, Alabama, and then even South Carolina, all solid Republican. And then your solid Democrat would be Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, New York, to highlight a few, along with Illinois. And then, you know, where we get, you know, a, a little kind of up in the air, um, 
some lean Republican, Ohio right now, Texas. Uh, I, I think Texas is definitely going to go Republican. If Texas goes Democrat, Trump has big problems. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then on the other side, uh, Nevada, Colorado, um, Minnesota, all leaning the other way. And then your toss ups, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona. And I believe they have I'm not perfect with my geography, but I think that's North Carolina that they have a toss up right now. Yeah, probably. So. I mean, Trump needs to win most, if not all of them, in order to win. And Joe Biden just needs a couple. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, what happened in 2016 is Trump won every single swing state. So, you know, if Hillary had just kept the Midwest, she could have lost Florida and Ohio and North Carolina, and she still would have won. But instead, she lost all those and Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. So we can't afford to repeat that map, obviously. But I feel like it's easy, a little bit easier than we than we think, especially I, if Michigan, what does Michigan say? Toss up or lean Democrat? I, I just closed it. I think it says lean Democrat. One thing I want to mention about you that I love, uh, Michigan is <laughs> listed lean Democrat right now. It's tough to tell some of the leans and likelies on my phone, but I think it's listed lean. It's it's definitely not toss up. So I think it's lean. One thing that I love about you is I grew up a big sports guy, Scott, and yeah. in sports, uh Fan bases will oftentimes refer to, like, just for example, University of Michigan, which I love. Will when I'm talking about the University of Michigan, I would at times say, you know, dang it, we lost that game. What I what I truly love about you is politics, is your sports. You just said, you know, you know, we need to win this, and you know, you attach yourself to. Um, maybe I, I'm getting my my terms wrong here a little bit, but you're attaching yourself to to the Democrats. You're you're saying, hey, we need to win this, and and it's like a sport to you. Or conversely, um, it's it's like you know politics to a sports guy. Is that fair? Yeah, um, I I I know you meant that as a compliment. I know that some I, people I do mean it issues. as a compliment. I know some people have issues with with the way that politics has become like sports because there's like big things at stake. Um, so, but I do agree. And it's funny that you say we, because it, this, it goes back to our earlier conversation. I didn't even like, when I said we in my head, I'm used to talking to people on my side. So I was sort of saying you and me and everyone, like I, it didn't even occur to me that like you would not hear we as you being a part of it. Uh, Cause I'm just so used to talking to people who are like on my team, you know? So not that you're not on my team or maybe you're trying to figure out which team you're on, but dude, here's what, here's what I would tell you based on what I kind of threw out there to start the podcast. I want all of us to be on the same team again. I want to get back to that point where you may vote for a Democrat. I may vote for a libertarian and somebody on the right may vote for a Republican, but I want us to all sit there and respect the red, white, and blue and understand that we all live in this country and it's better if we work together. So yes, I would love it if we could all get back to that we as opposed to where we're all in these smaller camps of we. So man, thank you for considering, you know, you know, me <laughs> as a, you know, a fellow United States citizen. I, I will absolutely give it to you for that. Um, <laughs> there you and, go. Bring no, and, and I and I think, you know, I've, I've kind of tipped my hand which way I'm leaning right now based on the discussion that you and I have. I, I don't feel great about it, but if the election was held today, uh, obviously ballots are not out yet in Arizona. Things could still change. I'm leaning Biden. 
right now. Uh, and, and I will be uh, mildly vomiting on myself to do that. Um, but I do think it's important for the country to to hit reset and to see what will happen four years from now. I don't love the direction that we have went the last three plus years under President Trump. But I want the people out there who who voted for President Trump, who felt like, hey, uh, I wasn't a Hillary backer and I just wanted to see how this would go or people who felt like, you know what, I always vote red. I want them to understand at the end of the day, I as long as we all want what's best for the country, I respect where they're coming from. I hope that people educate themselves and make the best decisions and don't simply vote on a color or on a gender or on a a race. By that, I mean, you know, a person's race. Um if we could get away from that in this country and we could truly look at issues and talk about them again, I think we'd be in a much better place. I agree. I'm, I'm really exhausted by all of this. I must say, I mean, it's just too intense and there's too much on the line. And I would like to get back to some normalcy in politics. My, I can hear my friends on the far left being like, normal is bad. There's, there's real issues. We need Medicare for all. We need green new deal. And like, there's, you know, there's some there's some truth to that, I think, in terms of like helping, you know, make sure our country's basic needs are met. But in terms of yeah, in terms of our like society, in terms of our politics, in terms of the way we relate to each other, uh, I'm with you there for sure. Yeah, I hope that but, Joe Biden can bring that back. But here's what frustrates me about Republicans, too, because they used to always say, you know, raising taxes, spending money, all bad, smaller government, good. And yet you look at the president the last four years, he spent more than any president ever. It's like so Republicans are all too happy to compromise their views and Democrats are as well, as long as their person stays in office. And that's what drives well, me nuts about the whole thing. Well, on that on spending, I mean, yeah, Republicans only talk about the debt when the Democrats in office. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they, ever, they all add to the debt. So, I mean. That's how it is. So I wouldn't take anyone seriously on that. That's a really big problem. No one's talking about it. But when Joe Biden becomes president, trust me, the Republicans are suddenly going to remember it again. You'll see. I agree. Sorry, I'm eating a <laughs> granola bar. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, We've taken up a lot of time with politics. I hope that was there some I hope I didn't like crush any other agenda item that you may have had. Oh, no. The I, I was thinking of some other stuff, but. It wasn't agenda items by any means. The only one that I really wanted to hit on was was my kind of, uh, you know, um, patriotic point off the top of at the end of the day, we're all Americans. Uh, one yes. thing that I was uh, as I was I was getting dressed, I, I took a shower. I figured I could at least smell nice for this po uh, podcast for you, even though you <laughs> will not smell or see me. Um, I, I had this this talk with a lady friend of mine the other day, and she said, she said that because I'm I'm getting ready to hop back in the dating game. I haven't dated in a year or so, and my current struggle is coming up with profile pictures, which is an issue because I, I don't feel comfortable getting together with five or six of my friends and taking a photo. And I don't want just six photos of just me because I feel women will sit there and they'll go, who's this loner guy? Um, but I, I threw out there to her, I was like, well, I could take a photo with my cat. And she's like, well... Women like dogs more. And and I'm just like I'm just like, yeah, I know they do. Why do you think and I don't think it's just women, I think it's people in general. Obviously I own a cat 
A, did you own pets growing up? And B, why do you think people in general prefer dogs over cats? Yeah, this is, I honestly, I don't, I'm not the best person to ask this question to because I'm not an animal person. I did not grow up with pets. I don't care for dogs. I mean, I'm fine with them, but like some, all my friends get really obsessed with dogs. I agree. <laughs> Everybody wants to see everyone's dogs, pictures of dogs. People yeah. try to show me pictures of dogs. And yeah. I just like, don't really care that much. Like it's fine, but I'm not going to like freak out. Yeah. Um, if, uh, I don't know. I can't. There's something weird about cats. I think people think cats are a little gross, um, especially <laughs> since there's like, you know, there's some superstitions with like black cats, right? Alley oh, sure. cats. I don't know. I feel like there's something, there's like some air of dark mystery to cats that are a little bit, you know, they tend to like hang out under the bed in the dark. Dogs are more loving. So I don't know. I do think that I, I, I don't share people's obsession with dogs what i will say to that okay that but i did love fair. the movie cats i'm the only one that enjoyed watching the movie musical hit of the holiday season cats interesting let's talk about that for a second um oh i would love to talk about cats <laughs> so here's the thing i didn't i haven't seen the broadway musical i didn't see the movie um here is my uh background with broadway uh, and we can we can weave cats into this the first production, I, and I've seen all of these just a gamage, uh, because my ex loved to go, and her and I are still good friends, for the record. Um, so I saw Book of Mormon, which I liked. Oh, my favorite. And I've talked about some of this on the podcast already, but I haven't talked about cats, so this is great. We can weave all this in. Uh, I started <laughs> with Book of Mormon, and then I saw Hamilton, and then I saw Dear Evan Hansen, which is my favorite, and then I saw Wicked. So those are the only four that I've ever seen, and they're oh, wow. they're four of the best, uh, from what I've heard. Uh, and I would actually have Hamilton ranked at the bottom just because I'm a dialogue guy, and Hamilton is all singing pretty much. Um, yeah, and and I tend to get a little lost in that. I followed along. I understood what was going on, um, and I liked Hamilton. I would still give it high marks, but it was my least favorite out of all of those. Dear Evan Hansen was one. Uh, Book of Mormon, probably two. Wicked, three, which I loved. And um, then Hamilton, four. Uh, tell me about, you know, Cats and what you loved about it. So I so, <laughs> well, I don't know how much you were paying attention to, like, the the conversation around Cats at the time. But it was like, we're Pan talking about the, the movie here, right? Yeah, the movie. I've not seen the musical okay. on stage. I've only so, seen the movie. I know when the movie was coming out, the trailer was just widely being made fun of, and people were saying, what the heck is this? Right, exactly. Um, so, so it's it's important to know in a conversation about Cats, right, that Cats was, for a time, the longest-running musical in Broadway history. I think it was on there for, like, uh, 20, 17 years or something like that. Um, like critically acclaimed millions of people have seen cats on Broadway. The movie was to my understanding, pretty much exactly the same. Hmm. So the fact that people hated it was one, because the CGI creeped people out and two, because there's no plot to it. But when you go to see, this is my argument. The, the story of cats is a story about a tribe of jellical cats who are competing because one of them is going to be chosen to ascend to the heavy side layer and to be reborn into a new jellical life. 
Don't ask me what any of that means. It's not important, but that's what the story is. And if you go to see the movie, that's what you get. So I don't know why people weren't expecting that exact story, but that's what happens. And Jennifer Hudson was in it. She was wonderful. Jason Derulo was in it. Taylor Swift, Idris Elba, James Corden, Rebel Wilson. I mean, it's a Sir Ian McKellen. So, and, and Dame Judi Dench. I mean, it's an all-star cast, right? Mm-hmm. So it became a cult thing. Like I, I went and saw it multiple times and people were like screaming at it and laughing loudly, sort of like in a Rocky Horror sort of situation um, because it was like, it was like comically bad, but I enjoyed it because I agree that it was bad, but it was like, it's cats. It's like what you should be expecting when you go see cats. But I don't understand why it was so popular on Broadway if it, the movie was so bad. I don't know. I don't know. Have you seen um, anything at Gamage, any you know, off-Broadway? What is your experience yeah. with musicals? Yeah. So, I well, I, first of all, I, I did a lot of musical theater growing up. I was, I was in a lot of shows growing up, and I, so I've always loved theater. My parents have season tickets to Gamage, and when I was growing up, they would, they would get extra tickets to bring me and my brother if it was a show that we would like. And I have lived... Uh, you know, semi close to New York. So I've been able to see some shows on Broadway in New York as well as off Broadway. Um, I, I've, so I have a pretty extensive Broadway mm-hmm. musical repertoire of, from the ones you've seen. I actually have only seen two of them. I've seen Wicked and Book of Mormon. I've not seen Hamilton or Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, I can't um, stress enough Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, 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 so good. It's funny. It's funny because my parents saw it on, in Gamage and they did not like it. No, oh, so, but they were the only goodness. people that didn't okay. like it. Okay, I'm going to have to fight your mom now on Facebook. You know, I, I thought, you know, <laughs> the, the Loveleaf post that she put out there, I thought, you know, we were bonding. I thought we were, you know, really going somewhere. And, and now we're going to have to fight about Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't. I can't comment. Um, Book of Mormon is the as like the greatest musical of all time. It is so so funny. Uh, my other favorite musical is Avenue Q, which I is written by the same. I think that's me there. That's that's not you. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. Avenue Q, which is written by the same guy as Book of Mormon, Robert Lopez. Fun fact about him: he is the youngest and fastest. Uh, EGOT, which I mentioned in the last thing about Scott Rudin, last time we were talking, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, youngest, fastest, and the only person to do it twice. Mm -hmm. Robert Lopez wrote the music for both Book of Mormon and Avenue Q. Um, Avenue Q beat Wicked in the 2004 Tonys, which was a big, big upset because Wicked was so popular and critically acclaimed that it's still running 17 years later. Um, And Avenue Q won for a reason. It's a really, really great show. It's like an adult Sesame Street. It's like book. It's not quite as raunchy as Book of Mormon, but like for 2003 when it came out, it was like the raunchiest thing on Broadway. It was great. What did your Uh, parents think of Book of Mormon? They what did my parents think of Book of Mormon? Yeah, they they saw it years and years ago, so they would not remember it now. I think they liked it at the time. They were probably a little shocked by it. I saw it on Broadway with my friend who was ex-Mormon. And we, we just loved it. It was great. So my, my hunch is, um, see, I haven't seen, you know, like Phantom of the Opera or Cats or like, you know, some of the, you know, monster musicals from, I mean, when did those come out? The late 80s, 90s? Yeah. You know, Miss Saigon. The the ones Lloyd like Weber, that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I wonder if your parents have a more, you know, classical Broadway view. And Dear Evan Hansen definitely is not that. It's very modern. It talks, you know, it, it gets into, you know, uh, 
suicide and uh, touches on, you know, all sorts of, you know, cell phones and social and all of those things that, that, you know, that obviously the Phantom of the Opera and cats, I'm sure don't get into. So I I wonder if if that, if that chalks up to it or, you know, we'll have to see. Ideally, your mom listens to this and she can throw up a a Facebook post and she can explain why, why Dear Evan Hansen did not make the cut in the Rubenstein household. Oh, I'm sure she I'm sure she will. She will definitely listen to this. She doesn't know yet that I, I haven't told her that I'm on the show, but I will I will tell her and she will listen for sure. Great. Um, I'm surprised you haven't seen any shows in Vegas since you're a big Vegas person. They have some of these Broadway shows like in residence there or they have throughout time. Huh. I so I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Vegas is something different to everyone. And. I'm not the person who, you know, goes and gets, you know, drunk and can't remember Vegas and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, anything like that. I love to go and, you know, play some sports bets and uh, I guess wager on sports. I don't know what the proper term that the sports heads would like to use, Um, but I'll play some poker or blackjack. And I do like to watch the shows in Vegas, but typically when I go... I've been trying to cross off the Cirque du Soleil's one by one lately. Yeah. Have you seen any of those? Yeah, those aren't my thing. I have seen, I saw Mystere, I saw Love. See, Mystere is one. one of the few I have not seen. That and O, I think, are the only two that I have not seen in Vegas. Yeah, I I saw Love and Mystere. To me, I don't know, I like more of a more of a dialogue story. I'm not sure. as impressed by the acrobats. Um, I mean, they're impressive, but like, I don't know. It's not my thing, but I have seen them uh, in Vegas. I would uh, agree. I like dialogue too, um, but I've seen, um, I've seen the one that is at New York, New York. That is the, you know, kind of more adult themed one. I'm blanking on the name of it at the moment. Um, I've seen the Michael Jackson one, and then I've seen Love. Um the, the Aria had one f- called Zarkana for a while, which has gone dark. Uh, MGM had uh, Ka, which I've seen as well. That I've seen that twice actually. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious what you would think of Ka because Ka tells a story from beginning to end, though there is really not dialogue in it at all. But it tells a story uh, that does weave in some of the elements of acrobatics and all of that. But I'm curious what you would think of that one if you ever saw it. Yeah, I'll let you know if, if Vegas ever, if I am ever comfortable going to Vegas again and like, you know, in a post-pandemic world. Well, I, I'm i debating going in December maybe, but here would be my rules. Um, I would like to stay at the Vidara, which is not a casino. It's just a big hotel. Uh, I'd largely... I can't imagine a scenario where I wouldn't eat in my room. So I'd go out and get food and then I'd bring it back to my room. Uh, I'd be comfortable walking the strip and I may even be comfortable going through the casinos. I just can't imagine myself sitting down and playing any of the games or watching a show or doing anything like that. But I'm so what's go ahead. what's in it for you then in, in that in that case, uh, walking the strip and getting away from Phoenix and hitting some of the restaurants that I love that are out there. Just breaking up some of the monotony of, you know, what's been going on in Phoenix. You know, like, here's the thing. You you take, I, I don't know how often you get to the beach, but you've went at least one or two times. 
Yeah, I go a few times a week to get out. Yeah. So, dude, that's the thing that's been really hard on me. I have, you know, I talked to my doctor a few weeks ago and I asked him, like, how worried do I need to be about COVID? And he said, well, you definitely are an elevated risk because you have a chronic illness. You take a low dose, but you take an immune suppressing drug and you're also still overweight. And I said, yeah, all those things are true. But here's the good news. I am now considered overweight, no longer obese, even though, you know, people who saw me probably wouldn't have thought I was obese to begin with. But according to doctors, I was. Um, But I I just want to find those things that break up the monotony, because here's my routine right now. I I wake up in the morning and I go to work and then I come home and I either do a seven and a half mile walk or I do some running with it. Um, and then I, I read for a half hour or hour and then I go to bed and I do the same thing. And on the weekend, maybe I'll watch a little bit of TV. Uh, I'm enjoying the Stanley cup playoffs right now, but in general, um, not a lot of different. It's like my days get broken up with the running and the walking and trying to work on my weight and get healthy. Um, but I haven't left Phoenix since early March. And usually I'm a four to five trips a year to Vegas guy because I love going to the casinos and, you know, hitting some of those restaurants and seeing a show and just breaking things up. Um, but yeah. but I just don't don't feel safe about it yet at this point. But I would feel safer if I avoided the restaurants, just picked up food, walked the strip outside, and you know, just you know, it'd still be nice to see the fountain at the Bellagio, check out the volcano down at the Mirage, and and who knows, just you know, just got out of town a little bit. Well, that makes sense. I mean, let me know how that goes if you go, because that's one thing you and I have in common is we both love Vegas. I think probably for different reasons, but I, I do you also love am it? a Vegas person. Why do I love Vegas? Yeah. I just really love, I mean, I don't really play poker. I do play slots, um, but I just I just like the the bustle and the hustle and bustle of Vegas, the lights. I love casinos. I love the like slot machine noises. And I just like the environment. I love all Um, that too. I I can hear you on that. Can I make a recommendation to you? Yeah, of course. So um, you're an iPhone guy, right? Indeed. So have you heard of the, it's a series of apps. There's actually four of them called My Vegas, and there's actually one. And I know you're probably rolling your eyes, but I promise this is all on the up and up. It's called, uh, it's a Facebook game also called My Vegas. Have you ever heard of it? Ooh, no, I haven't, but this sounds like it could be bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing uh, you can do it entirely free. And I will admit, I've spent about $150 on it. But then I would be happy to tell you all of the free things that if you earn up the rewards just from doing the free spinning even that you get. And and again, I've spent about $150 and I can tell you that it has, you know, paid for itself in more than tenfold in terms of rewards that I've gotten. It's connected to the MGM properties. Um, I'm trying to pull up the rewards that I've used. Um, redeemed. Here we go. So, 
Uh, just so you can hear, and I've been doing this for probably the last six or seven years. Here are the rewards that I've used. Uh, two comp nights at the Bellagio. $25 in match play at the MGM, which basically means I put down $25 at a blackjack jack table, and they essentially double my bet for one bet. Um, $25 in match play at the Luxor. A free buffet at the Mirage. Now, granted, I think buffets are kind of uh, a no-go in the pandemic. Uh, I know they're not yes. even open. Um, I do think they might come back at some point once we get a vaccine, but okay, moving on. Uh, two nights at the signature MGM Grand, uh, $25 in free slot play at the Luxor, two comp nights at the Luxor, a complimentary buffet from the Luxor, $25 in match play, a complimentary buffet from the Luxor, $25 in match play, $25 in, uh, free, uh, free, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on this? It's, uh, oh, free slot play, uh, two comp nights at the Vidara. Two tickets to the Shark Reef Aquarium at Mandalay Bay. A two-for-one brunch at Excalibur. Two nights at the Aria. $50 in free slot play. A two-for-one buffet at Aria. Two comp nights at Vidara. A free ticket to Ka. Two tickets to the Secret Garden at the Mirage. Two comp nights to New York, New York. My goodness. I can go on and on, but I've I've got tons of these. Um I I had you know two tickets at one point to the Bellagio Gallery of Fine Art. I went to that. Um, there's a lot of things. I had a ticket to Love for free that I got from there. I've had lots and lots of rewards that I can tell you that like if you're somebody who even goes to Vegas once a year, I would encourage you to check out my Vegas slots on either Facebook or one of the apps and. And if you link your accounts, all of them will kind of sync up and you can just build up all the loyalty coins. And if you do it and you have any questions, let me know. If not, that's my my free endorsement for that. I promise you, I'm being totally honest, you can do it all for free and you can get three rewards each time you go. You can see what all the, you know, the gold coins cost each time before you go. And I would just tell you it's it's usually a way to save some money. Wow, that's amazing. And what a great endorsement for my Vegas slots. They should they well, should be paying you. For no, that. I mean, I <laughs> I just again, I've saved thousands of dollars and I've spent like 150 and the reason I even spent money is because if you spend money each time you go, uh, they will give you more rewards. I'm at a point where I get four rewards each time when I go. Some people have as many as six because they've probably spent over $1000 on the game. I'm I'm not going to do that, but even if I had spent $1,000, I still would sit here and tell you that all of the rewards that I've had, I do think, would have paid for themselves. So yeah, if you like the slots, they've got that for free. You can get some of the nice hotels. Um, you know, Aria, Vidara, both very nice properties. Um, I, I love the casinos in Vegas as well. So uh, that was one of the bummers, too, is I saw that there's a, a chance that the Palms will never reopen. And that's actually Ooh. the first place I stayed in when I ever went to Vegas. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I'm concerned about uh, my beloved Atlantic City on the East Coast. Have you ever been there? I have not been to Atlantic City. I'm I'm reading Mike Tyson's autobiography right now, and he had boxing matches in some Atlantic City properties. And every book that I read, it's funny how Trump's name continues to pop up. Um, oh, yeah. And obviously Trump is heavily linked to Atlantic City, too, and 
has a Vegas property as well. Um, no, I've never been to Atlantic City. I know about it. Um, not as well as Vegas, though. It's, uh, I love it. It's, it has a very, very um, specific flavor to it. I think a lot of people think it's kind of trashy, but I think that that's what's great about Atlantic City. It's trashy, good fun. And it's obviously not like Vegas. I mean, it's much, much smaller, um, but it's like Vegas on the beach, basically. And it has a storied history. The Monopoly board, right, is like based on Atlantic City. They have some great properties there. Oh, thankfully, Trump is all gone. He had four. They've all gone bankrupt. They're all gone. <laughs> Last time I was there, the Trump Plaza building was still standing um, with like you could still see like where the word Trump was. And I think Hillary Clinton gave a speech in front of it in 2016, which is great. Um, just to, like show what Trump could do to the economy. Um, but Atlantic City is really great. I used to go in college because I lived in Philly and we had a train that would go out there um, on the New Jersey transit. So it's it's great. If you ever if you're ever in New Jersey, you should you should check out Atlantic City. It's not Vegas, but it's like it's it's still really fun. It's like a East Coast beachy Vegas. Love it. Okay. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to hit on? Oh my goodness. I had one question about Vegas for you. Yeah. Which was that I remember that you told me one time that you did like a turnaround Vegas trip in like one day you like drove up there and like spent a whole day and drove all the way back in the same day. <laughs> do, do you do that often? Like, what is that like? So I don't know if, if this is the trip that I'm talking about, but there was a, a day cause I did do that one time where I drove up to Vegas with a buddy and we went to the Vegas bowl that night. I realized I didn't have my medication and I drove all the way home. He stayed up there, and then I drove back to Vegas the next day, stayed up there the next day, and then drove back the following day to Phoenix. Um, <laughs> no, in general, when I go to Vegas, usually I'll stay for two or three nights. I would love to stay for a week. Usually my friends are like kind of like two to three days max type people. Um, I love Vegas, and I could stay there forever, but you know, after a week, I'm happy to come home. Um, they're usually two or three days kind of sick of it, ready to get out of there. Um, so yeah, I forgot my medication. I went to like a oh. Walgreens up there and I tried to get them to just give me enough to get through. They called my pharmacy, which is one of those like 90 day supply places. And they either weren't open on the weekend or they couldn't get a hold of anybody. And they were not willing to just give me like two days of my medication, which it's not like a, you know, it's not like I'm taking morphine or anything, but they still weren't willing to, you know, sell it to me. So, um, you know, would I have died? No. Would I have gotten really sick? Probably not. But I decided to come home, take the medication and then go back up. So, yeah, it was uh Kind of a crazy okay. trip, and now because of that, I keep medication in my car so that when I drive somewhere, if I if I go and get stuck, I've I've got it with me at least. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't realize that it was an accident. I thought that that was your intention was to like you only had one day, so you like went up and came back. I didn't know that that no. you that there was a mistake involved. So I'm sorry for making you relive that. No, no, I no, just... no, no. It, it all good, all good. 
I always think of you, like when I think of like you in Vegas, I think of like, of, of that idea of like how much you love Vegas that you went back and forth in one day. So now that, now I have a bit of a fuller picture. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we do, we do share a love of Vegas. So um, yeah, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this again. Um, I could, I could keep going for hours, but I know, uh, I know we have a bit of a limit here. Well, and here's the other thing. I mean, again, you're, you're welcome to come back and I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully, you know, right before, uh, right before the election and we can, we can discuss what's changed and what, you know, what has come up in the debates we're going to have, you know, three presidential Ooh. debates. The first one, I believe, is the 29th of September. And then we've got the VP debate between uh, Kamala and uh, Mr. Pence. And we can sink our teeth into all of that. Oh, I forgot about that. That is going to be great, uh, especially the VP debate. I don't, I don't know if I can stand watching Trump, but Mike Pence is a pretty good debater and Kamala Harris is a great debater. So that will be really, really good. Yes, let's let's do that. We'll definitely want to talk about that. See, I, I how do I put this? I am certain that Trump will probably win the debates over Biden, but I don't think Biden's going to get crushed. I I mean, Joe Biden might not 100% be with it, but the guy's not an idiot, and I'm sure he knows that like at some point, Trump's going to take a shot. And to me, it's it's kind of like a boxing match. Trump will be swinging wildly, and Biden is going to try to just jab back and win on points. And Biden wins if he just doesn't have a big gaffe. Um, whereas Trump needs to make Biden have that gaffe. Now, Kamala and Pence, I don't think matters as much, but I think the debate may actually be better there. Well, okay. So let, let's just do like quick predictions then. Yes. I, I like, I very much disagree that I think Trump is going to win. And I'm curious to know what you think constitutes a win for Trump, because he will, most of the things that he's going to say are going to be not true. So either they're just going to be falsehoods or they're going to be outright lies. So if he is forceful enough about it and, and makes Biden like, like stop, lose his step for a bit, maybe that counts as a, as a win, I can't imagine he's going to say anything that's like remotely in the realm of reality based on what's going on with the coronavirus and with racial injustice and stuff like that. Trump um, will win because I think he will be more outspoken, demonstrative, and I think he will try to take up more time. And I think he will try to control the floor where he right. where he will lose is if the moderators take control of the debate and call him out on lies. Right. Okay. So when it actually comes to the to the substance of what the debate is about, he'll lose, but in style he'll win. Yeah. I in with with Hillary, there was a big discussion about so because she won all three debates, like it like at least the like media elite class thought that was true, whatever. Um because she had the substance and, but there was a big conversation about her being a woman and him being a man and the way that he talked over her and talked down to her, interrupted her. She never interrupted him. And I was so angry watching it. I was like, cut him off, interrupt him. He's doing it to you. But she felt like as a woman, she couldn't do that. She discussed that after. 
um, and in her book and stuff like that. He walked behind her in that one town hall debate and creeped her out. So, well, you remember I'm, there was the one too where there were the wasn't it like the women who had accused President Clinton of misdeeds yeah. were at one of the debates. It was it was just yeah, bizarre, it was nasty. So, because it's not Hillary Clinton and it's not a woman, I think the dynamic is going to be a little bit different, and I'm very interested to see how that is because I actually do think that there was some gender roles involved in the way that debate went down. Um, because Joe Biden also likes to try to be a tough guy in a bit of a different way than Trump. So, and are they going to be in person or are they going to be virtual? I don't even know. Do you know? Everything I've seen says they'll be in person. Okay. That's going to be a mess. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to see. I think that it is going, I think that Trump is going to say a lot of things that aren't true. I think Joe Biden should insist that things are fact checked. I know someone suggested that Biden refuse to debate unless there is a live fact checker. I don't think that I don't think that he's going to refuse to debate. But we got to have fact checking there because Trump is going to say things that are just outright lies. And we got to we just we got to be able to call him on that. And that was one of the issues that I had with the last one is that Hillary said all these things and then Trump would like say wrong, wrong, or she would say something that was a lie and she wouldn't call him out on it. And well, then so people, that, that's where uh, I would push back on you. And I would say. You know, do I think live fact checking would be good for the country? Yes. But at the end of the day, I also would say it's on the candidates themselves. It's on the former vice president and it's on, you know, President Trump to do their own fact checking there on stage. And it's on those moderators really more than anybody too, to make sure to, you know, call out anything that's egregious and keep things moving along. And there's no reason that if if the president it goes down a road that's a falsehood that Biden can't call him out on it. Uh, that's true. I agree. So hopefully he will. He Biden's got to be armed. That with should the go back. both ways. Absolutely. Yeah, and and Biden is preparing, and I think I read somewhere that Trump is not preparing. He thinks he can just wing it. So we will see. That's <laughs> I'm I believe to... how how he prepared for the last set. He would sit around and like have lunch. Yeah. And he and and he won the election, but I do not think that he won the debates. But I guess that doesn't matter because he won the election. So there you go. (laughs) Correct. All right, Um, Scott. We'll be good. We will. uh, I'll bring you back. Let's say you know mid October, maybe after all these debates, a couple weeks out from the election. Sounds great. I will be back. I will be here. I'll be ready to break them all down with you. All right, buddy. You have a great rest of your weekend, and we will talk soon. Thank you. You too. It was great, uh, great chatting. All right. You tell your mom, lighten up on the Dear Evan Hansen. It was good. (laughs) Okay, I will. Bye-bye. All right, bye.